Hi, welcome back to PH Expanded. This is Mike McDonald after uh, a game uh, flooded with emotions. I've managed to calm myself down. I uh, wanted to do that before I did this. Um, that was tough to take, wasn't it? Really tough to take. I uh, loved so much of that. And then we're reminded that we're supposed to get three points or one. Sometimes I wish that there were no points available. Just go play a game of football. See what happens. I don't know. <laughs> don't really feel that way. But today I do. Anyways, um, wanted to move on and uh, see if we can make this a little more compact than some of the podcasts have been recently. My goal is always to do a shorter podcast just to differentiate between all the other three million Arsenal podcasts out there that uh, we all listen to about two million of them. So uh, let's go with the sliding doors moment. I think that there's no doubt in this game that that game <coughs> swung because of uh, the miss by Gabriel Martinelli. And I don't want that to seem like a blame because uh, they all make mistakes throughout the game. Uh, we made very, very few and certainly he made very, very few, if any. And wanted to point out, uh, people are pointing online to the referee getting in his way. I, uh, I felt, I don't feel for the referee in this situation. Yeah, maybe I do, just a little. Just a little, because he annoyed me too. But just to explain what I think happened there with the referee, I think he was trying to get himself into a position to see if the ball crossed the line. Now... I only have a little bit of sympathy for him that he accelerated past Martinelli and sort of stood in front of him in order to see that happen. I only have a little because he has technology to make that decision. He doesn't have to make it. So ultimately, he did not really need to do what he did. But I can't go alongside people who are saying that that was an intentional action to get in Martinelli's way. I think his knee-jerk quick uh, in real-time reaction was to try to see what he could see. So that changed the game. And boy, if ever I've seen a game changed by just small incidences. And again, just, I suppose it's the joy of sport, isn't it? As much as the annoyance. But that game, to give one team three points and the other team none, just seems so wrong. But I'm not wanting to change the laws of the sport. It's not that. Uh, it's just um, doesn't feel like we should get none from a game like that. Um, not a chance. But maybe that's a discussion for for another day and uh, and something that we certainly don't need to change. But I'll get past that. A positive that I wanted to pick up on. Now, in my piece, if you've read the piece so far, there's an awful lot of positives in the opening um, part of the uh, the blog and, and quite a few otherwise as well. So it was hard for me to grab another one, even though it was such a positive performance. But I had something just dawn on me today. After watching that game, I thought about uh, my comment about Saka and Martinelli and how they were the more dominant of the wingers on the field. And of course, Smith Rowe in recent times has been right in there with them. And then, you know, I was um, midweek writing 
my uh, midfielder blog for La Grove. Um, and so I started to think more and more about transfers and I'm currently trying to put one together for um, the strikers in the world. And when you start thinking that way and you, and you want to make a decision yourself as to what you would do, then Arsenal have a really interesting decision and it's a positive decision that they have to make. So let's say we're getting rid of Pepe, probably not in January, more likely in the summer. So let's say that's happening. Okay, if that's the case, do you get somebody like, um, do you pursue Raheem Sterling? That's been talked about. Serge Gnabry, that's been talked about. Both players not signing new contracts, um, both players out of contract shortly. And so they would make our squad better, no doubt. But if you sign Raheem Sterling or Serge Gnabry, I'm not saying you have to guarantee them a starting spot because I don't believe that's what Mikel Arteta would do. But that puts a lot of pressure on the coach to pick them ahead of three players, not just two, but Saka, Martinelli and Smith-Rowe, who seem to be on an upward trajectory that could go to the very, very top, all three of them. So when you think about that, and I thought about it, because initially I've been talking to myself more than anybody else, maybe my son, about being excited about getting Serge Gnabry. He would be the one that I would probably go for, because I think he's got unfinished business at Arsenal. I think he'd be highly motivated to come to Arsenal. And if there's any winger in the world or wingers in the world that guarantee you goals... It's probably those two. Well, anyway, um, I'm not sure I would do that now. And I'm not sure if the winger that I bring in to replace Pepe will be somebody who's better than those three. Maybe that sounds so warped and stupid to try and find somebody who's not as good. But it's not that that I'm thinking. It's just if we had one of those players in the squad, we would have to come to the conclusion that one of Saka, Martinelli and Smithrow, one of them at least, is going to drastically lose their playing time. Unless you thought of it another way and just thought, OK, and maybe this is what City do, is that they seem to play their wingers in blocks. They play maybe Grealish and Mares for five or six games and then take them out and play Silver and Foden or whoever it may be. So everybody gets to play a decent amount enough to satisfy them. Um, maybe that's the way to go. I'm arguing with myself here. But I think there's also an argument that we should go for somebody that's not quite as expectant, but is super talented. Somebody similar to what they already are, the three that we already have. So um, thinking of a player like Sulemana at Wren, if you haven't seen his YouTube highlights, highly recommend you do. He is insanely dangerous um, and, and attainable, I would say. And there's going to be a list of, of players. Uh, Noah Lang at Bruges is another one with a huge upside and versatility to play both sides. But anyway, it's just I wanted to throw the idea out that, um, and it's not just the winger situation, is when we're trying to upgrade the squad, you do have to be somewhat careful as to the 
ego, I suppose, is what it is that you bring in and how that might disrupt the squad if that ego isn't going to be satisfied with competing. And I know that all the players should compete and earn their minutes, but it can get fractious. We probably have seen that with Aubameyang, and there haven't been that many incidences with him, but I'm sure that becomes an awkward place when he hasn't been playing, and everybody feels that. Anyway, I guess that's a positive. A positive in the fact that we have such talented wingers and wingers that out played the best team in Europe's wingers and that we're in a position where we can replace somebody that we signed for 72 million and maybe just spend 15 million and find a very promising young player instead of have to go to spend another 50, 60, 70 million. That's happening all over the pitch. Okay, the need I wanted to um, talk about was what's going to happen in the very, very short term with our midfield. Uh, we need to sign uh, a midfielder. Uh, I think that's no doubt going to happen, but it needs to be quickly. And I'm not saying this because I'm worried, because I can't believe that Arsenal are, for example, going to let Thomas Partey and El Nenny go to AFCON, which they will probably tomorrow, and um, then let Maitland-Niles go to Roma and leave us with Xhaka and Laconga and Charlie Patino, who's never played a full game in the Premier League. And I might be missing somebody. I don't think I am. I'm wondering if um, we're going to reintroduce Chambers into the mix like he was at Fulham. Could well happen in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that in those games. But um, something's going to have to happen. And I think something will be happening very quickly. And then so, because it hasn't happened yet, and I know we've only been at this one or two days, this transfer window, and there aren't really strong rumours of something happening imminently, I suppose that Maitland-Niles is staying until later on in the window, and certainly I don't think the club is going to get rid of him until we have a replacement. And the reason that there isn't a strong rumour going around that um, looks like it's coming to completion, I wonder if it's Wilshire. And I've talked about this. You know, Wilshire's not somebody um, that if we need to sign him is going to um, have weeks of speculation. and Are the club going to release him and... Are we going to be able to afford him? Of course, he's unattached. So if we want to sign him, we can just show up one day, offer him a contract. He'll sign it because I think we all know why. And and then all of a sudden, he's not only training with us, but he's able and eligible to play. So that's a quick one we can do. So I wonder if that's why we're not hearing strong rumour. We hear little bits and pieces but, for example, the rumour of Douglas Louise that came out yesterday, I don't think that that's going to happen in January. I'd be very, very surprised if it happened at all, that one. But if it did, I'd think that that one would... Um, we'd see weeks of speculation and uh, wrangling over that decision. Huh. OK. All right. I haven't talked in my piece about the refereeing, and I don't want to talk and bore you beyond all that you've heard and read about Stuart Atwell and what happened yesterday. What I do want to talk about is the bigger picture with refereeing. And so my hope is that they can do a couple of things to change. 
First of all, the clip that was going around on social media there, the close-up that was taken from behind the goal was not filmed by a fan. That clip was available. And when I watched the replays on my television, the same replays that the referee was seeing, I think, he didn't get to see that clip. And so there, I think there has to be some training given to the VAR folks and the referee or the VAR people especially, which clip needs to be shown as a priority. And it needs to be the, obviously the one that gives you the best angle on that incident. And it was always going to be the one from behind the goal line, the byline. And that showed a completely different story. It showed that Odegaard's foot was hit first. Now, whether that's still enough to give a penalty, let them decide. But the fact that they weren't shown that clip, and we were, seems all kinds of wrong. Why do we get to see it? Why do we get to see it? If you're going to have this VAR, which I would bin anyway, because the goal situation of you can't really celebrate a goal anymore because you don't know for sure if it's a goal. So I would bin it. But if you're going to have it, you've got to show them the replay that shows conclusively whether it is or it isn't. And you've got to have better training to figure out how you do that. And I'm not going to give that enough thought to ramble any further because it's not important what I think about it. But I wanted to mention that because that was frustrating to me. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to add is the Mike Riley situation. Now, for those of you who may not know, Mike Riley is the head of the PG MOL, the head of the Referee Association. He's the guy that robbed us way back when we were trying to stay invincible for 50 games and uh, put forth one of the dodgiest refereeing displays that anybody's probably ever seen in English football. And he's the head of the refereeing association. Now, hard to tarnish somebody and hit them all hard with a performance in one game. But my um, thoughts on Mike Riley are more based on many years of watching, or all the years of watching the Premier League and the refereeing standards. If they're getting better, it's not obvious. So, um, I am frustrated by that. And it sort of seems to fall in line with how if we look at the world we're living in now. I don't want to get too involved in non-footballing related issues, but I've always wished that if there was one single difference that uh, we could make in the world to change the circumstances that we're currently living in, it would be to make leadership accountable. Because there's too many leaders worldwide that are power grabbing and taking advantage of situations. And they're all smart people. And they're only doing it because they think they can get away with it. And that's a much bigger discussion to be had on a different podcast than an Arsenal podcast. But as far as football is concerned, Mike Riley, I don't think, feels that he needs to change anything. Because the refereeing standards have been, um, for the best league in the world, have been way below par for a long, long time. And if you had a job and you were the boss and you didn't have anybody above you that seemed to care about your average standard of work, what's your motivation to change? 
unless you're self-motivated, and maybe he, he is, but doesn't seem to be. Um, but he needs somebody above him, which I'm sure he has. I'm not sure who that person is, but that's the person. That's the person. It's not necessarily Mike Riley. You can keep shouting at Mike Riley, but he's not going to fire himself. You've got to find the person who's in charge of him. And again, much like our society, if you can make a person like Mike Riley feel accountable, he will have no choice. And just like these leaders that we see around the world taking advantage of with vaccines and these political situations, they're cautious to do what they're doing. Only cautious, though, until they realise they don't have to be. Anyway... Wanted to finish with the final thought that we lost, but things are looking up at Arsenal. That is crystal clear. And I today had many messages from fans of other teams all talking fluidly in a positive manner about the future for Arsenal. And it's all along the same lines. is A, you're good. B, you should get top four because you're the best of the rest. And... Final thought is that Arsenal are in a fantastic position this season, but in a better position long term, maybe than anybody else because of the age of our squad. And so I'm still good and I'm looking forward to the North London derby and I'm very interested as to what's going to happen with this midfielder in January. Would love to see Charlie Patino get a good go. See ya.